Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the About Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ozels, and uh, let's kick it off with the first episode. At the end of the day, brands like Louis Vuitton are essentially only around because they have such strong IP rights. And like, it's all in that logo. Um, thinking, taking a look at other, other high fashion brands, like some of the young designers, they really don't have anything going for them other than designs, but like brands like Louis Vuitton, like Gucci, it's, it's pretty impressive how they've managed to keep their IP so strong. And, you know, they're not like, they're not looking to innovate really. They're looking to do kind of the same old thing. Cause that's what works. Uh, they can hold on to those old fashioned prints. They don't really need, you know, they might come out with a new fabric, a new type of canvas or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about that noticeable print. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the About Stuff podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the high fashion world and exploring how a certain brand came to light and why it dominates global high fashion today. All right. Let's begin with a little bit of history. The year 1852. After staging a coup d'etat the year before, Napoleon III has just assumed the emperor of France. During this year, Napoleon would sign a new document that would allow him to serve an unlimited number of 10-year terms. He would, among other things, have free reign to control what wars France entered, what new domestic laws would be signed in, and what international treaties they could join. In essence, he would be the absolute authoritarian rule of the country. Like other monarchs, he would have fancy dinners, have sweet horse and buggies, have awesome clothing. He lived a life of luxury. After about a year, he would marry the Spanish countess, Eugenie de Montijo. With that marriage came, I don't know, happiness, but among other things, luxury goods. They had butlers, maids, servants, seamstress, tailors, and they even had a trunk maker for their travels. Now, who has a trunk maker, right? Napoleon. This trunk maker, his name was Mr. Louis Vuitton. Looking back on history, it's so weird to me that a famous fashion designer was hired by the crazy and chaotic ruler that is Napoleon III. Before we get too deep into Louis Vuitton here, I want to go back to his childhood to show exactly where he came from and how he really came to be. Louis actually came from a pretty average French family. His mom was actually more or less in the fashion industry as a local hat maker. At age 10, though, his mom actually passed away, unfortunately. And just a year later, so did his father. He took up residence with his stepmother, but fled the coop at age 13 for essentially not getting along with her. He fled all the way to Paris, many miles away, and gained apprenticeship under a local trunk maker. Now here is where the name Louis Vuitton came to resonate with the Parisians. He was more or less branded as the trunk maker for Paris's more fashion-forward class at the time. Alright, that's enough about Louis' childhood. Let's go back to Napoleon's 1850s France. 
1858, Louis introduced a new style of trunk that was never seen before in the entire world. He used a certain type of canvas to make it lightweight and easily stackable. His inspiration for this trunk actually derived from a famous trunk maker in London, H.J. Cavs and Sons. This bag was, I guess, some ways revolutionary. You could stack it. It was waterproof. It was great. Yeah, and this trunk was so successful that Mr. Vuitton decided to show it at the 1867 Universal Exhibition in Paris. After the brand grew and he gained some global traction with the wealthy elites, Louis started to sell these goods really globally. But with attraction comes duplication. Many people decided to rip off Louis' goods all across the world, and so he thought, let me redesign it. He added brown stripes to it and made the bag beige. A few years later, they opened their first store in London on Oxford Street, which is premier real estate of the city. This is a theme that you're going to see over and over again with Louis Vuitton retail stores. Unfortunately, in 1892, Louis Vuitton died, and his son George takes over the brand. George, though, truly revolutionized the brand to be more global as he created the trademark LV classic monogram design. George also traveled to the big cities of America, marketing the luxury and exquisiteness of the brand, which only helped the luxury company gain traction. By the early 1900s, the brand was opening stores in New York City, Paris, Bombay, London, Alexandria, Buenos Aires. It was great. But unfortunately, during World War I, the company halted to a short and began to take a little bit of a behind-the-scenes role. However, after the war, they released the first ever handbag, the Noe bag, which, in my opinion, is A, not the most awesome name, and B, the function of the bag was a little bit useless. Essentially, the bag functioned to carry champagne, which is a bizarre thing to do. Anyway, the company began to produce more functional items, like the Speedy Bag, which, oddly enough, still holds its popularity today and is made widely. However, in 1936, George died, and his son, Gaston Louis, gained control. Over the next 50 years, or essentially up until the year 2000, Louis Vuitton truly developed in the brand it is today. However, I must point out one sour spot in its history in this time. In 1945, LV collaborated with the Nazi party to make thousands of busts for the puppet government in France. Anyway, by the later half of the 1900s, stores were in almost every major city in the world. And in 1987, the brand merged with Moët, Achardon, and Hennessy to create one of the world's largest known luxury brands today in history. The Ultimate Luxury Company was essentially just formed. And by 89, the brand was looking at about 130 stores globally. It was incredible. And in 97, they hired creative director Mark Jacobs. Under Jacobs, the brand experimented with new patterns and new styles. They opened more exquisite stores that featured crazy designs. The brand collaborated with high-profile celebrities to really maintain its elite status. Then, in 2011, they hired esteemed designer Kim Jones to be the creative director of the men's line and most recently and most importantly in 2018 they replaced him with Virgil Abloh (laughs) 
All right, so now we're going to move on and we're going to talk with Sam Fisher. He's a Louis connoisseur. He's actually the guy that you just heard from in the beginning of the podcast. He's going to give us some insight into what the brand has become today and what it will be like tomorrow. Stick around. What's up, everyone? My name is Sam. Very excited to be here. I'm an enjoyer of clothing, occasionally high fashion, but typically medium fashion is, is, is my niche right now. But I do follow what's going on occasionally from time to time. So I do consider myself to be a, a foremost expert on the world of Louis Vuitton. You know, how do you think the brand is portrayed in modern culture, you know, here in 2020? Oh, it's a total status symbol. I mean, it's a brand that when you look at the things that they've been putting out recently, that those might be new looks, taking a look at like some of their handbags that look like the old Louis Vuitton trunks. Like that's not, that's not an innovation. They're not coming out with anything new. They're just putting a small little spin on, on what their old brand aesthetic is. So ultimately at the end of the day, like that's a brand that you buy into because you can notice those monograms, those prints from across the street, and people are going to know exactly what you have. Uh, I mean, it's the same phenomenon as things like the, the Hermes Birkin bag or something like that. If you're in the know, like you're going to recognize that bag. And so that's what keeps those products from holding their value so well over, over decades. How do you think that a brand that's so old and so large now as, you know, it's part of um, a conglomerate, of other high-end brands, how do they continue to innovate and grow in such a tight space? Right. I think it all just kind of comes down to keeping their status as the top of, of luxury, of what new high-end designers achieved to create their brand and kind of shape their brand into. Um, especially considering that there's a very small subset of the population that's just growing richer and richer. Uh, it's going to come down to Louis Vuitton's ability to just keeping, keep putting out new product that uh, is going to be just different enough from, from one of their handbags from whatever the, the fall, fall, winter season for 2019. Uh, just different enough, but at the end of the day, it still has to be something that's cohesive that fits in with their, their core brand suite. So I think it's really just making sure that they, they don't lose uh, lose sight of their their brand identity that they've done such a good job of holding on to for uh, over was like 150 years that they've been out for. And then I, I know I know you know personally you're a fan of Virgil Abloh, but maybe maybe you want to talk a little bit about him and what he's brought into the brand in the past few years um, and what he brings to the brand in terms of outside of it. You know, having his own collection and his own line of clothing. Um, how do you think that dynamic plays out in Louis Vuitton's favor? Right. I mean, he's definitely a super trendy figure within not just the, the space of streetwear, um, but also of high fashion. I think that that's a really huge trend that we're seeing across the whole fashion space is traditionally really high-end brands are looking to bridge that gap between streetwear um, and those higher-end brands just because there is so much value in those limited runs and those really flashy eye-catching uh shoes and shirts and hoodies and stuff like that so i think it's something there's a huge potential for louis vuitton that instead of people going and paying two thousand dollars for a pair of shoes that 
originally retailed for $160, maybe they can go and if they really like Virgil's designs, he can put that premium leather, he can throw that Louis Vuitton monogram on there. And at the end of the day, those consumers, instead of having to go and buy those shoes from a third party, from a reseller who's just pocketing all that profit for, let's be honest, a shoe that was barely worth that $200 in the first place. And, you know, if Louis Vuitton, if Louis Vuitton's brand image continues to hold, they'll probably be able to justify spending $900 on a shoe that probably has slightly more premium leather on it. Probably not as good of a deal. Uh, probably definitely not worth those $900, but if they're willing to shell out that money anyway, uh, Louis Vuitton really has, has an opportunity to keep up with those trends and really create kind of a more progressive brand identity for themselves. Is there yeah. anything you want to say on behalf of the Louis Vuitton brand? Is there, is there a reason why that you personally might be attracted to, um, you know, their clothing, their lines, their collections? Um, yeah. I mean, I think one tricky thing is that, um, in high fashion, on one hand, you kind of have to push the bar a little bit on those during, you know, New York Fashion Week, during Paris Fashion Week. You've got to create those eye-catching looks that nobody real might ever wear, but they're also things that, again, really have to fit in with that brand. So I think something that they need to do, and in my opinion, they've kind of struggled to do in recent, in recent years and some of the more recent collections, is creating these fashion looks that you know, manage to both be something that you can throw on and feel okay wearing around, uh, but also something that differentiates itself from some of the more fast fashion options like Zara, like H&M, that often do look to, to rip off some of the designs that were created by these higher fashion brands. I mean, look at all of the, whatever, the Balenciaga sock shoes. There's like a million different iterations of those that the only difference is just that they don't have the, the Balenciaga name on them, but you know, you can get them for less than a 10th of the, the retail price from Balenciaga now. Sure. Is there anything you want to say? I don't know. I mean, if they want to, they want to send something over my way, uh, they know where to find me. So while Louis Vuitton has been around for decades, pioneering in the fashion world, their recent fallout in design and creativity maybe has their high prices looking a little too high. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it from About Stuff. I'm your host, Alex Ozels. Special thanks to Sam Fisher for taking the time to talk to us about Louis Vuitton. Tune in next time where we talk about hydroponic growing systems. What are they? How they function? Why it all works? That'll be up next on About Stuff. Take care. Take care.